Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations, commonly known as Victoria, B.C., Canada. And I'm so excited to have Danielle Blackwood back on the show. Danielle is a professional astrologer with more than 30 years of experience and is certified in the principles and practice of contemporary psychological astrology. She's also a registered counseling therapist in Canada and holds a certificate in Jungian and post-Jungian clinical concepts. She last appeared on the podcast in 2019, and we talked about her previous book, The Twelve Faces of the Goddess. Now she's back with a fabulous new book that I highly recommend to people aged 25 to 55 especially. It's called A Lantern in the Dark, Navigate Life's Crossroads with Story, Ritual, and Sacred Astrology. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. It's one I didn't even realize I needed to have. Much like the book, actually. You know, I I liked the first book a lot. And of course, professional courtesy. I was like, oh, Danielle has a a, a book coming out. My colleague, of course, I want to support that book. So I got the book. Took me a little while to open it. When I did, I was like, wait, what? I didn't know how much I needed this book until I read it. And now I'm so, so grateful it came into my life. It's just, it's a perspective you don't read that much about. And as a person who has looked forward to elderhood for (laughs) many years, I've wanted silver hair for so long. And like every time I I get some, I'm very excited. And my best friend, Patricia, is always texting me that she has more gray hairs when she finds more. And I'm like, I've I've thought actually even about dyeing my hair silver. And my husband's like, no, I want to love you through all your seasons. And so we need to go through the autumnal part before. You can't just jump ahead to winter. Anyway, I'm fascinated by the process of aging and rites of passage for adults, you know, not just those of us who kind of need to, needed to have like do-overs for uninitiated um, adolescent selves, you know, but like, then what happens? How do you know when you're becoming an elder? What do you have to do? Anyway, you just don't, hear that much about the astrology of midlife. So let's do it. Let's talk about the astrology of midlife. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. So it's been a couple of years since you've been on the show, Danielle. What identities are you leading with now? That is a really great question. And I'm actually happy that you asked that question because it's one that I've been contemplating a lot lately. So for so long, I have had very clear identities. And right now, I just feel like because I'm on the cusp of my own second Saturn return, I really feel that some of my identities are shifting. Mm -hmm. So I still identify with the pronouns of she, her. Um, I live on unceded Coast Salish territory, uh, the Hoquinonum speaking peoples that which is now commonly known as Salt Spring Island. And um, but now that, I, that I'm about to cross 
this threshold into my cronears in a really visceral way, I feel like old layers of identity are beginning to shed and I'm hoping that they're making way for something new. I'm trusting that. Mm -hmm. um, I talk all the time with my clients um, and in my books about being no longer who we used to be, but not quite yet who we are becoming. And I feel very much that that is where I'm at now. So I'm leaning more and more into this liminality and reminding myself that it's okay to be there. So I, I, I've been feeling also a bit of a resistance growing within me to label myself over mm -hmm. the last little while. And I think that if I had to put into words what I think is evolving within me right now, I would say at the heart of it all, I'm a storyteller and a walker between the worlds. So that's how I'm identifying these days. Mm, you yeah. know, I really relate to that sense of, because that's where I am right now, turning 47. I'm kind of out of the first few of the major midlife transits, and I'm a ways before the, the second Saturn return. And so I'm in this, like, what just happened kind of <laughs> period yes. and, like, don't yes. really know. And so I feel very cuspy as well. And, and it, it, I kind of feel like there's this big chasm between where I am and where you are astrologically, where I'm like, what's in there, you know? So there's, I'm so excited yeah. for this conversation. There's so much. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about a lot of the things that are between, you know, the tail end of the midlife transits and the beginning of the second Saturn return. So we'll get to that oh, in, as we go along, but I'm excited to talk about it. Awesome. Okay. So your most recent book, Lantern in the Dark, Navigate Life's Crossroads with Story, Ritual, and Sacred Astrology, teaches us what to expect at life's crossroads during our Saturn return and the midlife transits. So these were, I never heard of the midlife transits before. I don't know if that's a thing you've coined, but the, oh. I think the Saturn return occurs, you know, so it occurs somewhere between 27 and 30 years old. And we hear yes. about it a lot. Like I know that I'd heard about it in my twenties, you know, and certainly by the time I reached 27, people were like, oh, this is all happening because it's your Saturn return. Mm -hmm. The midlife transits, <laughs> it's kind of, again, it's sort of like perimenopause. Nobody tells you about it. And know, it's so true. It's so true. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, what is this? <laughs> yeah. My life right now. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. also there's something about the Saturn return. That's so dramatic that even people who maybe aren't into astrology kind of end up turning to it. Cause we're naturally in this seeking phase of like, yeah, what's happening to me right now. What's changing. Where do I find some guidance? Um, so can you give us an overview of the psycho-spiritual purpose of these five important crossroads of the midlife transits. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want me to touch on the Saturn return yeah, at sure. all? The first yeah, one? Oh, yeah, go for it. Okay, no problem. Yeah, I can start with that and then we'll go into the midlife transits and, and take it from there. But um, okay. so I think that the important thing to remember is that whether we realize it or not, we are all kind of always playing out stories from myth, story, folklore, and fairy tale. And in astrology, there are certain thresholds that we all cross around the same ages that bring up specific archetypal themes. And these rites of passage are significant chapters that shape our own sacred story. 
So each of the significant passages that I write about in Lantern in the Dark has a powerful purpose to help us move forward on the journey of our soul. So it, they, these times teach us the lessons that we came here to learn and nudge us onto the path that we are meant to be on. Mm. And I think that although we experience countless transits throughout our lives, these are not the only transits by any means that we experience. We're always experiencing different transits. These are the ones that I would call quite often they're game changers. Mm. So um, I've chosen to focus on that phase of life that's between the first Saturn return and the second Saturn return. So beginning with the first Saturn return that occurs, like you said, you start feeling it around the age 27, you start feeling something's different. Something feels like it's shifting, but I can't quite put my finger on what. But so we start with that, then we move through the midlife transits, which occur approximately between 37 and 45. And then we conclude with the second Saturn return that occurs in the late 50s. That's what I talk about in the book. And again, there are also lots of other transits happening too, but the years in between these two major turning points are about creating a life. Mm. They're about cultivating an identity or identities, establishing a career, marriage and committed relationship, deciding whether or not we want to have children. Um, it's about embodying our unique purpose. And if we pay attention, these years are about finding magic and meaning along mm. the way. So these transits that I talk about in A Lantern in the Dark are called biopsychic, which means that they occur approximately for everyone at around the same ages. So while these junctures do often initially show up as psycho-spiritual crisis, they almost always coincide with the most significant turning points in our lives. So the first major milestone in the human lifespan is the Saturn return. And um, again, 20 between 27 and 30 is the age frame that it happens around. And Saturn, what it means is that Saturn is literally returning to the place that it was at our birth by sign and degree. So that happens approximately every 30 years. So what that means is that we get a Saturn return around the age of 30, then we get another one between the ages around around 60, so 57 to 60. And if we're lucky enough to live that long, we get a third Saturn return and a final Saturn return at around age 90. So yeah, so um, whenever we have a Saturn return, so Saturn returning to the place it was when we were born, it brings up Saturnian themes in our life. So in astrology and mythology, Saturn is the reality principle. It's associated with milestones, responsibilities, aging and maturity. And the, the first Saturn return around 30, it, it is really a major reality check for a lot of people. And, it, and it, what it's doing is it's asking us how have we structured our lives to this point? And most importantly, how is it working for you? Hmm. So that's the first one. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, yes. of course, I've thought about this a lot, but for some reason, it, the reality, uh, it's just dawning on me. Like I can look back and be like, oh yeah. Okay. So I was engaged, got pregnant, yeah. three or four months pregnant, called off my wedding. <laughs> 
you know, like it was just like, oh, but now that I look back, I think, oh, it wasn't just that I, you know, had a baby at 29 or I called up my wedding. I'm realizing, <laughs> oh, I said no to the relationship with a cancer son, very kind of traditional. And I eventually met my current partner, who's a Sagittarian, very like different kind of it's just a whole different outlook on like what partnership and marriage and things like that means. And it totally just philosophically changed who I am, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they were, you know, a, a few years apart, but I can see how it was like, I was at the crossroads and it wasn't just the marriage. It was the whole idea of like, what is home and family and partnership. And I still have those things now, but the reality is it's my current marriage is very countercultural. It's very like in just a lot of ways, not all of them, but anyway, so I bet a lot of people are kind of backcasting <laughs> right now yes. and going, what really happened there? Yeah, there's yes. the events, but like in the bigger scheme of my entire cosmic experience, what was I saying no to? What was I saying yes to? Am I kind absolutely. of am I tracking that right? Yeah, you are absolutely tracking that right. That is, it is a bigger part of the whole picture. Mm -hmm. It is, um, yeah, and it's exactly as you described it. It's not just um, acute events happening in a moment's time. It's it's something where you are making yes, like you said. What are you saying no to? What are you saying yes to? What is that next chapter going to look like? How are you going to structure it? What do you want it to be? I mean, the Saturn return really is about creating an adulthood on our own terms. It's about, it grows us up in a profound way. So it's really not uncommon for people to have a first child around their first Saturn return. Um, a lot of people do end a relationship that's perhaps keeping them from growing. And conversely, they connect with somebody who is the significant life partner for the next stretch of the duration. So that that is a really, I hear that a lot from people. There's like kind ways, of an archetypal right? sense of yes. it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, not everyone is going to break up with their partner when they turn 29, <laughs> but you know, it's just like, that would be crazy. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, um, but if it, if that relationship is stuck or if it's not moving in the direction where the inner self is trying to go, that relationship will probably end. That mm -hmm. does happen more often than not. And like I said, often followed by a, a really significant commitment to somebody on a soul level. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, people go, oh, the Saturn return and they think it's all scary and, and it can be, <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to sugarcoat it. There are some things that can be really serious that happen with Saturn. Um, my son's just had his Saturn return and his father passed away right on his Saturn return. Wow. So there are things like that that can happen and do happen. And um, it, it, Saturn is the great teacher, the karmic teacher. And mm -hmm. I can tell you that he really learned what he was capable of, my son did over mm -hmm. this last little while. Mm -hmm. He really learned about um, how to step up to the plate and take on that responsibility and really become the, the person that he's becoming. Wow. So that happens in different ways for everyone. Right. And the great yeah. initiation. And, and yes. it sounds like, 
Yeah, Saturn return. Well, we're going to talk a little bit later about mm. some of the death aspects that can go around, like the real shadowy parts of it. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe why don't we? Why don't you say a little more about the next transits that many people haven't heard about? Yeah, absolutely. So the the um, the midlife transits. So between the approximate ages of about thirty seven and forty five, forty eight. Um, it depends on when you were born. So we can find ourselves on the edge of that dark forest once again. The next major crossroads is actually a series of four, and they're known collectively as the midlife transits. And they do coincide with what society calls the midlife crisis. So the purpose of these thresholds is to remind us of why we're here and what we came here to do. Um, they often bring up themes connected again to what's working in our lives and what isn't so these four transits happen very close together and occasionally they do overlap so they happen at the same time a couple of them too which can feel like life becomes a bit of a roller coaster throughout midlife and i think anybody who's kind of made it to the other side of midlife will attest to that being true in a lot of ways so they can be a stressful time for marriages and other long-term commitments um, as well as things like career life direction um, people are often finding themselves really reflecting on and reviewing the life that they've built up to this point so there's a lot of inner work being done and it's not just like oh these transits come along and people decide to leave their partner or or whatever but it's like there's a lot of things happening in the subconscious, you know, on that um, and where people are really realizing that they need to to move, to grow, to become self-actualized. And again, whatever is keeping them from growing, it's like the higher self or the inner self and the universe conspire to make these changes so that growth can actually occur. So it really is a time of unprecedented soul growth and individuation between around 37 and 45 to 48. So these cycles are transpersonal passages that do lead us towards a sense of new individuation, becoming more completely and wholly who we come here to be. To be. So in my book, The, the Lantern in the Dark, um, I have used the four stages of the Mesopotamian myth of the descent of the goddess Inanna to illustrate how this these transits can be can be felt, how they can play out. So the first one is called the Pluto square, and it typically happens between around 37 and 42. So the, this can be a time of intense shadow work when we may feel like we've wandered into an underworld of sorts. So a lot of people do feel raw, they feel vulnerable or exposed. Um, intense emotions can come up from, you know, it's almost volcanic. They're coming up from inside us and, and shaking us to our core. And the purpose of, of the Pluto square is to help us release toxic patterns, transform and let go of old trauma, and ultimately to step into our power in a clear and gracious way. So it really is about shining light into the dark places of the psyche and to find what Jungian Robert Johnson called the gold and the shadow. Mm 
The Pluto square is, um, although it can be a bit of a tumultuous time, it's also a time of deep regeneration, of healing, empowerment, and, and rebirth. It's a time of soul transition, so to speak. And once it begins, it lasts for about a year and a half off and on. So that's mm -hmm. the first one. Yeah. It, it, you know, know, I'm at, well, I'm thinking about like, of course, everybody's like yeah. doing the math. How old was I? What was I doing? What, what year was that kind of thing? You yes. know, but I think about, you know, what you said about, um, going into the shadow material. And, uh, I know for me, there was a, a period there of, I, it's like a, I hit a new level of like rage about the patriarchy. My kind of like initial understandings through my my twenties and thirties, it just like super intensified, and that does impact a marriage, I have to say. But the amount of healing I was able to do, partially because you know by then I had the means to have a great therapist and, you know, like explore these things in safe containers, enough self-knowledge, enough space, because I didn't have a little, little kid anymore. Um, but a lot of healing from patriarchal wounds and sexual mm. trauma and things like that, that it, you know, when you say it takes like a year and a half, really of like pretty intense, it's like, yeah, that, that tracks, you know, absolutely. Um, yes. it, 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 and profound. I thought I was already doing the work and then it's like, you unlock a new level. Yeah, that is very true. Um, everyone, everyone I talk to says something along those lines where they say, I thought I was doing the work. I thought I, I thought I had already dealt with all my shadow work. It's like, I don't know if yeah. we ever all, you know, really truly deal with all our shadow work. Yeah, It's kind of a process. It's like weeding a garden, but, mm -hmm. um, but yes. And I remember too, when I had my, um, Pluto, Pluto square, I was actually doing a degree in gender studies and yes, same thing. I mean, the whole, I mean, the patriarchy and privilege and all of the stuff, it just came down on me like, like this giant awakening. Mm -hmm. And I was so angry <laughs> trying my little square, yeah. just like trying to yeah. trans, yes, trying to transmute all of this, this energy. I mean, once your eyes are open, you can't close them again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was uh, interesting. I'd like to actually know how many other people around that time are, are waking up to realities like that and just going, wow, mm -hmm. I didn't even know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because kickstarting a whole new, like you say, like yes. eyes wide open and you, you thought yes. you already knew and suddenly you're like, oh, wow, I had such a elementary understanding of this very complex thing and the rage, yeah. the amount of rage. Yes, Pluto <laughs> is definitely about that, that underground repressed rage that just can mm -hmm. come bubbling up to the surface. It's also about, it's about transition and transformation, yes, but it's about power. Pluto mm. is about power. It's, um, so I think that a lot of people do come to that point and they, they start to see those intersections of power, both within their own life and in the collective. And that can really, really rock a person to their core mm. when that starts coming up. And, and yeah. then what, cause it, like you said, they overlap. <laughs> so what else? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, interesting that they don't, so that, that one, the Pluto square, does often overlap with the next one I'm going to talk about, which is called the Neptune square. So what basically is happening when I talk this sort of astro jargon, or um, what's happening is that 
for instance, with Pluto. So Pluto's in the sky, and then you've got your birth chart, and you've got your Pluto in your birth chart, which stays the same. It's kind of where it was when you were born. But Pluto, as you know, I mean, all the planets are moving. And as they move, they will make what we call an aspect to the planets in our birth chart. So Pluto square means that Pluto is making a very contentious and uncomfortable aspect to itself in the person's birth chart. Mm. So same with Neptune. So the Neptune square. So Neptune in the sky is making a square aspect to the Neptune in your birth chart. And these are two that do tend to overlap quite often, the Pluto square and the Neptune square. So with Neptune, very different archetype than Pluto. Um, what people often experience here is a sense of ennui. They feel um, dissatisfied with the lives that they built to this point. They're, they're just like kind of, you know, gazing out windows and picking at threads. There must be more to life than this. Um, a loss of focus, feeling adrift um yearning for something that you might not even be able to name that's mm -hmm. very neptunian where you just feel like that there's something bigger that's happening um grieving over lives that or choices that we didn't make um mm -hmm. dreams that we might now realize might only ever just be dreams so this comes, it's really a funny time because a lot of people come to this juncture and they sit, suddenly go, oh my God, I'm not young anymore. Not like you're old at that age, right? But people do feel that. They start suddenly thinking, I'm not in my 20s anymore or even my 30s anymore. I'm now entering this whole new chapter. And it does start calling up all of these ideas and questions about what haven't I done? What were those things that I wanted to do that I didn't do yet? And that can bring depression in some cases. It can bring bouts of melancholy and, um, yeah, just feeling kind of, like I said, lost and cut adrift where you can't really quite grasp anything. Everything feels nebulous. Mm -hmm. Neptune is a very nebulous um, principle. Can I ask you about yeah. a thing that is sort of like, so the echo of one of the things that was happening mm -hmm. for me and, and intent, you know, it had been happening prior, but it intensified around this age was like an ancestral ennui of like mm. ancestors displaced from generations ago, feeling as a white settler, you know, yes. in North America, yes. just like not belonging, not knowing where to go. Like when you talk about being adrift and even just mm -hmm. like adrift in Neptunian in my sort of Scottish Highlander ancestral vibe, it's like very kind of like looking out at sea, you know, with like a ship deck around it. It's like not, it, so I, is that related in a way, or is that just like my own personal take on it? Cause it's sort of well, like, there's the life that I built, but there's also this like intergenerational trauma of displacement that feels a little like this. I absolutely agree. I mean, Neptune is very much connected to those deeper layers of psyche and to ancestral memory and trauma and the intersectional oppressions and privileges that we all carry with us into this life that we have right now. Mm. So that is um, absolutely um, a wonderful example, actually. Just okay. that sense of just lots of soul searching. I yeah, think and be, the grief. Yeah. 
the, yes, the, so the, much the grief. Amb- ambiguous grief about like a home you've never been to a land you've never lived on you know like all that <laughs> kind of stuff interesting right? yeah, yeah I have I have the same yeah I have a lot of Neptune in my chart so I get that kind of regularly but I get that um that does happen a lot mm. during the Neptune square where people feel this sense of wanting to go home, but not yeah. really to like a specific location or to, I want to go home to my family. It's not like that. It's more like yeah. this nebulous, numinous idea yeah. of home, right? Yeah. Where, yeah. where it's not like you can just, it's like an idealized version of home mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. lives, I think, within everyone, that sense of, of belonging. What do I belong to? What belongs to me? Where do I fit into this grand cosmic scheme of everything? Totally. Where is home? And so yeah. wistful. Neptune, yeah, wistful. so wistful. <laughs> what a, that's a wonderful <laughs> Neptune word. Yes, yeah. wistful. I mean, mm-hmm. Neptune, and none of, none of the planets or archetypes are, are negative. They mm-hmm. all have their shadow and they all have their positive sides. So mm-hmm. the positive side of Neptune is finding a, a spirituality on our own terms. It mm-hmm. can be, it can coincide with a spiritual awakening, um, deeper meaning, a transcendence of what all that we've known before moving into a, a, a more spiritual understanding of who we are. Some of that deeper spirituality or on your own terms, I can, I can see how that became my animism and ancestral veneration and learning the Gallic songs and those kinds of things. It really did become um, much more grounded, but certainly came from this, um, you know, far reaching, Mm -hmm. like you say, nebulous, numinous experience that idea, I just really resonate with that idea of like the reclamation of a spirituality on your own terms. Mm-hmm. That feels good. Yes. I think Neptune opens us, up, opens us up to something more vast than we have ever experienced to that point. A sense of magic and enchantment even that comes with sort of surrendering and going with the flow and allowing yourself to make, to make space for for those wonderful, spiritual, magical things in ourselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Neptune square. <laughs> I mean, this it's really just, to, you know, here we are talking about these things in these little bites, but um, I think that anyone who's out there who's going through it right now is probably going, oh my goodness, yes. Because it is, it's, these are big life-shaking transits, typically mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, the next, the third one, in the midlife transits is called the Uranus opposition. And it happens approximately between the ages of 41 and 45. So it doesn't mean that anytime I see these age ranges, it doesn't mean you're having it for those that whole time. Oh, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. That was like the fine print in the book. I was (laughs) like, wow, these are really long transits. But no, you can figure out when it's happening exactly for you. Exactly. So if you know that you're between the ages of 41 and 45, you know that you're in that range, and it's going to happen at some point during that time. And again, once it starts, it'll last for about a year and a half. So so yeah, so Uranus in astrology is known as the Great Awakener. Um, This transit can bring unexpected change, crisis and upheaval, and it's usually followed by an emergence of a new sense of self. So things like creative breakthroughs, sudden realizations, and really self-actualization and individuation, those are all Uranus words. Mm -hmm. So it can feel like 
for a lot of people, it can feel like the rug has been pulled out from beneath them when they have the Uranus opposition. Um, it happens again for everyone in different ways, according to your own life specifics, but it does tend to be something that is rather unexpected out of the blue that sort of shakes your whole sense of what is firm and what is real. So its purpose is to get us out of any ruts that we've fallen into. So if we've been procrastinating on changing something that we know needs to change, this transit can be experienced as disruptive or even shocking. So, I mean, there's many examples. I think of, uh, you know, somebody who's kind of going along in a job or a career where they're just like kind of putting in the time and they know that if they could do it again, they wouldn't be doing that, but they have bills to pay and mortgages and whatever else. And all of a sudden they get let go. And so this is how Uranus works. And it's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? This is, you know, but when you look back on it in hindsight, it's like it had to happen. Something had to give because you were not growing anymore. You were stuck. You were in a place where your higher self, your inner self is saying something has to change and you're not going to change it. So the powers that be sort of shift around and create that change for you. Um, the purpose of the Uranus opposition is to wake us up and to help us individuate sometimes dramatically by clearing away old structures so that we can step into that new version of ourselves that we want to become. Mm. So that's, that's the Uranus opposition. And I can attest to, um, okay, so here's me 42, um, when I had mine and I was such a, cocky little Aries astrologer as I have kind of grown out of that hopefully to know but I was like I've got this <laughs> I was like I know how this stuff works I can I can handle this I know well I remember the whole old adage with Uranus is expect the unexpected so that's exactly what happened and I don't really want to go into too much detail but it was something that was just like out of left field that completely changed my entire life in a very um, upsetting way at first. But now when I look back on it, I think if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be who I am right now. There's so many things that I've learned and done since then. So yeah, mm. so I, I do think that until you're there, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> mm, totally, totally. You know, yeah. I'm thinking of, so what happened for me at that time is, my child changed gender. Right. Okay. <laughs> so you yeah. think you're like literally going along like, oh, this is how I'm parenting. Yeah. This is how I'm parenting them. I know my child, like you say, like pretty cocky, right? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like, we have this like ideal yes. relationship. We tell each other everything. And then like one day, boom, here's this thing that's been building inside my child. Like just went from like, oh, what an easy, uh, you know, kid, what an easy childhood to just suddenly like, everything got hard. It got hard for him. It got hard socially. It got hard at school. It got hard with his dad. It just, everything got hard and like really intensified for, again, like a, a, a year and a half or so, much mm -hmm. harder in the first six or eight months than the, the, the next year, but still just hard and, and having to grow as like a person and as a parent mm -hmm. who's like yeah what does it actually mean to both 
you know, guide my child, protect my child, uh, not make long-term decisions to what could be a temporary problem, but also support them and see them and be like, wow, these were like very fun, my sense of what gender means, you know, Mm. all of that changing his name from like, I gave him like a name that was like a blessing for his life when he was born and he changed it. It was just like, okay, here we are stepping onto a different path right now so for me I kind of look at it as like now I look back and I think oh yeah that has profoundly shaped me as a person it's changed like who's in my life in terms of um reaching across difference to have more people in my life that my son would be comfortable with as models as allies as you know confidants as you know all that stuff it's just like okay wow so this really deepened my um, commitment to justice in different ways and yeah that is so wonderful and such a wonderful example of a uranus transit it really is because Uranus is the, the great liberator. It's the planet or the archetype associated with revolution and social social justice, actually, yeah. and um, new paradigms. So and while it can be surprising or shocking or destabilizing in the beginning, it is something that it needs to happen to, mm-hmm. to shake things up in order for them to be what they're meant to be. So totally. that's, that's a wonderful example. Thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. So in your book, you quote Max Luthi, Luthi, I'm not sure it's German. I think it's Luthi, yeah. Luthi, yeah. I feel like it would be Luthi. Luthi. He <laughs> says that every crossroads in life is felt as a threat. And I just, I, it was so succinct. That really stood out to me. You also shared Dr. Theodora Gross's encouraging uh, perspective that like, when at the edge of the dark forest, the heroine is terrified, but if we can just remember, she never actually dies in the dark forest. It just, it holds the power to frighten you. Um, And that's sort of the point that you can either be like immobilized by the fear, or you can be aware of your shadows and the unprocessed fears, and then you can proceed more wisely with your eyes wide open. At the same time, you know, as we alluded to earlier, many people don't make it through their Saturn return. Mm. And there are many famous people who've died at 27 or 28 Mm -hmm. years old. So the ritual of the crossroads, like crossing that threshold can mean life or death for some people, or as you mentioned with your son, like others, you know, people close Mm -hmm. to you can die. So how do you, and and our listeners may not know this, that you're also a a, a counselor, you're a therapist, you, 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 you're not, you, you combine that with your astrology. So professionally in your many hats, how do you think we can help younger people, emergent adults become more skilled and literate around grief and death and boundaries and shadow work and all this stuff without having to go through such extreme or dangerous initiations? That is such a great and interesting question. Um, I think because everyone, you know, although everyone has to go through their own initiations, depending on what they came here to learn. Um, That being said, I think taking time to contemplate the archetypal themes that accompany each threshold can be really useful. Um, Understanding the developmental purpose that is trying to emerge, I think is the best first step. So say someone is um, nearing their Saturn return, taking that moment to say, 
what what is trying to be born here what's trying to emerge or what archetypal feeling or um construct is trying to to come out right now so mm -hmm. spending a little bit of time i think in reflection and i think that this is not going to erase the need for initiation that's still part of the deal mm -hmm. um and i think though that the more conscious someone is about what time it is in their life the better equipped that they can be to navigate whatever comes up or whatever arises because life happens you know mm -hmm. i mean people do die that's something mm -hmm. that we don't like talking about as in our culture but i'm not saying people are going to have their saturn read and turn and die that would be a, a rare thing but um it does happen and i know there's what like you were mentioning there's the 27 club mm -hmm. and i've thought about that a lot and i've thought about you know because saturn is about the way you've structured your life it's about natural consequences it's re um you reap what you sow it's mm -hmm. essentially that's what saturn is like so if somebody is living their life at breakneck speed and, you know, imbibing all sorts of substance use and that kind of thing. No judgment. Saturn is impartial, but mm -hmm. Saturn will say this then is the consequence for what you've been doing. Mm -hmm. So I think that that can be one of the things that happens and being aware of that, that it's all about consequences for, you know, that can be more positive or that can be more negative. So that's one way I, I think navigating that crossroad more skillfully. Um, I think that in reflecting on the themes that arise for, for each transit, these big transits, um, we can see the medicine that each one requires. So mm -hmm. for Saturn, you want to bring in Saturn things. So what it, this is called is propitiating the gods. Mm -hmm. So for example, during the first Saturn return, we know that Saturn is the principle of reality. So like I mentioned already a couple of times, um, it shows us how we've structured our life and the consequences that naturally stem from that. So turning to Saturn when you're in a Saturn time and making space for Saturn in a conscious way can be very helpful. So some of the ways that young people can navigate that threshold when they arrive at it, I think can be doing Saturn things. Saturn wants you to slow down, reflect on self-limiting beliefs, take stock of what is really, truly important at the end of the day. That is like Saturn's all about what is important, what is true, what is real. Um, stop and listen, practice radical self-compassion, make time for contemplation. Saturn in traditional astrology is connected to the contemplative practices, mm -hmm. you know, just stopping and, and meditating, contemplating, making space, even for melancholy and allowing yourself just to be in that time, that space for a while. Um, I would say another big Saturn medicine is accepting responsibility mm -hmm. and making com a commitment, stepping up to the plate, tending to the practical things in your life, just one thing at a time and creating healthy boundaries. Those are all Saturn medicine that mm. can help a person, I think, navigate any Saturn time, but the Saturn return, because we're talking about younger people mm. moving into that new phase. Um, yeah, practicing good self-care and mm. all that that means. And um, 
getting support if mm -hmm. someone needs it, you know, reaching out to a, a therapist, a friend, and a, someone who is more experienced that can help them see it through a more realistic lens so that mm. they can move forward. So, mm. okay. So in the book, you talk mm. about Saturn as the Lord of the harvest and you say how, you know, mm -hmm. if you learn his lessons of hard work and consequences, you'll be richly rewarded. So mm -hmm. here I am in my life trying really hard <laughs> to like learn the lessons of Saturn. And I often, well, right now, I feel like there's um, maybe, well, both subtle and pretty overt feedback that I'm like failing at it. And, and so I'm struggling to see the rewards of Saturn, Danielle. <laughs> like, what are the rewards? Like, okay, I'll be a better person. But like, am I missing something? What is the reward? What is the, I want the yeah, word of the yeah. harvest. That sounds better. <laughs> well, absolutely. And let me just think for a second, you are a Scorpio sun, right? Yes. So you probably actually have Saturn on your sun right now because mm -hmm. Saturn's in Aquarius right now. So Saturn at some point is over this two and a half year, three year period is going to square your sun. It might be happening as probably right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can look that up <laughs> like for you a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I can, if you want me to, I can look that up okay. for you. But um, that that's a hard transit, Saturn squaring the sun. But um, what are the rewards of Saturn? So hard won wisdom, number one. <laughs> yes. Eight. Yep. Saturn says you have to work for it, but that is what you will get. You will have that wisdom. Um, the ability to work with what is rather than what we wish things to be what you know rather than wishful thinking saturn teaches us to work with what is to appreciate it knowing what we're capable of defining who we are and what we stand for mm -hmm. and that that's a big one i think because that does shift with time and experience but saturn comes along and wraps his ruler and says who are you and what things is it time to let go of so that you can crystallize who you truly are and what you want to become mm. so you can't be everything not just you but any of us we can't yeah. be all things to all people we have to get very clear saturn brings clarity mm -hmm. um and it brings an appreciation for living in a body in the physical world an appreciation as well of how quickly time passes and how to use it more effectively Mm. I think, and how to treasure time as well. Time, it's ephemeral. Mm -hmm. It just, I mean, you know, it goes quickly. So Saturn teaches us to make the best use of the life that we have. Mm. It teaches us how to build a life on a solid foundation aligned with what is important to us. Mm. Um, what else? Um, it gives us more clear perception an awareness of what matters and teaches us how to build something rooted in the tangible, what we can see, taste, feel, <laughs> hear, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. So again, okay. not fantasy, not wishful thinking. It's here to teach us perseverance, patience, gravitas, and ultimately discernment. So those are some of the gifts that Saturn brings and what can we do without Saturn gifts? Nothing. Right. Nothing, yeah. nothing has any structure. It's just, just pie in the sky. 
<laughs> that tracks. And it, it also makes sense to me that these things really only, as you say, crystallize because they're hard won. Like these aren't yes. the kinds of things yes. that you just learn from a book or somebody telling you or shaking their finger. It's like at some point you learn either the hard way <laughs> or you don't learn at all. So yeah, no, okay, that tracks. Thank you. Appreciate that. So in the book, you use the stories of Vasilisa the Beautiful and the Quest for Fire and Inanna's descent to illustrate these experiences and the feelings of what the Saturn return and these midlife transits are like. So I, I want to preface by saying for folks who aren't familiar with these stories, I really highly encourage you to buy the book because they're important stories. And, and you, Danielle, you take such a nice, um, slow, lyrical way of, of telling them, but also interspersing it with like going back and being like, and now here was the point of that. Here was the symbolism of that. And it just makes the story so rich. But you do something also really novel in this book and you flip the point of view in Vasilisa's story and you shift us into understanding the other main character's perspective and that is a Baba Yaga. So you take time to really honor the crones and that's one of my favorite aspects of the book. I've been like gunning for cronehood for a decade already. I'm like <laughs> always every day I'm like how are my gray hairs? Like, I just, I want it so bad. Um, so can you tell us more about Baba Yaga embracing the crone and the, the second Saturn return? And, and I'm particularly curious, what do you notice about people who really struggle with the second Saturn return versus those who like really embrace it and like, are like gunning for it like me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's there seems to be two different camps when it comes to the second Saturn return, which occurs between around the age of 57 and 60. So the real mystery, I think, that lies at the heart of the tale of, of Vasilisa the Beautiful is that Vasilisa and the Baba Yaga are connected. They are one and the same. They're two sides of a coin. They're mirror images of each other. So the Baba Yaga was once the Vasilisa, that uninitiated young woman standing on the threshold of stepping into her power. And one day Vasilisa will come to embody all the wisdom and experience that Baba Yaga has accrued over her life. At the same time, each still carries a seed of the other within them. So reflecting on how Baba Yaga came to be the Baba Yaga is at the heart of the mystery of the birth, death, and rebirth cycles. Mm -hmm. um, I take a very different approach to Baba Yaga in my book. Um, I know a lot of, you know, the old stories would be that she's a, an evil witch with gnashing teeth who ate the people who came to her door. And I mean, we all know if, the, if we've read the story that she rides around in a mortar and pestle, which are the, ter the tools of a, of a wise woman, of a herbalist. So I think that she has been, you know, shifted over the eons to become this evil witch, but really she is a wisdom keeper. Mm -hmm. She is the wise woman. She is the one who knows the medicine of the plants and the cycles of nature and all of the things. So I think, yeah, we've, once we once again here we are we're entering the hut of the baba yaga but now it's us 
who are on the road to becoming that wisdom keeper, that teacher, that wise one. So it's not like we're that sort of ingenue, that Vasilisa stepping, look, stepping up, trying to get the fire. We are now on the other side of the coin. We now are becoming that Baba Yaga um, archetype rather than the person who is just coming of age. It's actually still a coming of age time, the second Saturn return, just in a different way. Um, so here we are between 57 and 60, Saturn has made another full circle of the heavens since our first Saturn return at around 30. Um, but now instead of facing 30, which seems so long ago, um, <laughs> we're, we're now on the cusp of 60, which is it's kind of shocking, <laughs> but remember that Saturn is associated with time. And um, once again, time takes on this tangible sobering quality when we have a significant Saturn transit. And I think a lot of people at around their um, second Saturn return are looking back on the story of their lives to this point and looking at how far we've traveled. How did we get here? What have we seen? Um, yeah, so again, the shift starts happening around the age 57. Um, for some people, the idea of retirement's not too far off. For others, they, they start fearing that they're going to become redundant or that they're going to lose their place. Some people feel that they're going to lose their looks, their youth, their vitality. Um, some people are looking forward to the freedom that retirement or a new chapter in life might bring. So there really are two different ways to, to approach this time. And I think that, um, yeah, it's important to remember too, health issues can also start showing up around this age. Remember Saturn's connected to bones and aging, um, teeth, things like that. So <laughs> I think that it's, it's, Saturn marks a milestone of maturity. And it's a turning point where we are called to reassess our values, to take stock and to really look at ourselves as a physical body on a physical plane. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're on the road to elderhood now. We are, we're not old yet, but we definitely are moving across that threshold into a new stage of life. Mm. It's uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some people do come with that measure of trepidation to this juncture and um, and sometimes it can bring depression or stagnation or stasis, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. I think that while we are stepping into a new phase of life, viewing it through an archetypal lens can be a deeply spiritual way to align with this rite of passage. Mm. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that regardless of gender as well, the second Saturn return is the time to distill our life experience, to embrace the Baba, Baba Yaga and to reclaim our inner witch. Mm -hmm. So reflecting on what we what we want to do with the time that we have left, revising our bucket list, you know, what do we still really want to do be, while we're here in this life? Um, I think uh, it can be helpful to take some of that wisdom and experience becoming and become a mentor, um, helping others with what we've learned. Saturn is also, um, I think that it can be a time of turning over a new leaf mm -hmm. and uh, embracing this new stage of life with excitement and enthusiasm rather than fear and, and caution. So I think for some, and this is the best way that it can turn out, it and I've talked to many people who attest to this, um, 
there's a building sense of excitement that that happens as we step forward into this next rite of passage because we've now earned the keys that unlock the mysteries of the hut of the Baba Yaga. Mm. And I think that this can be one of the most powerful and fulfilling times of our entire lives. It mm. all depends on our approach. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. And, yeah. you know, I think about, well, as you said, you know, there's, she has all of the aspects of healer, of wise woman, etc. But, you know, this idea that she has, yeah, iron teeth and skulls, at, you know, on her fence and all that kind of stuff. But she does remind me of like the kayak, right, of, of uh, Scotland yes. and Ireland, that it's like, this is not a person who suffers fools. And exactly. as you said, she's earned, she's earned this wisdom. She didn't, she wasn't born with it. It wasn't bestowed upon her. She's had some like hard things happen and she has Mm -hmm. survived them. And she's always on her own. She's like never partnered. Not that we take that literally, but that there's a, a, perhaps a psycho spiritual or or what you call biopsychic aspect where it's like, can you stand on your own two feet? And Mm -hmm. can you do that also laying boundaries with others and saying, no, that's bullshit. (laughs) like we're not doing that's or this is how I'm going to live my life or you know no I that is not how we roll here or that sort of thing so I can see I guess this is where I'm like okay if that's the rewards of Saturn if you know that you go through the Mm. next turn in that kind of way that that really appeals to me me too. Me too. I mean, she, Baba Yaga is a stern teacher, but, and like you said, she does not suffer fools gladly, but she is, she's got great boundaries mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she's, mm-hmm. and she's learned them over the course of her experience and over her life. Mm-hmm. And um, through all of the things that she's come across and the same goes for us mm-hmm. as human people, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. here we are coming to this point in our lives and we have gone through a lot usually by the time we get to 60. Mm -hmm. We have gone through, you know, for some of us, it's been about raising children or, you know, committing to a career path or a partner. I mean, there's some of us have experienced great loss. There's Mm -hmm. so many things that happen between that first Saturn return and that second Saturn return. That Mm -hmm. 30 year period, you know, depending on our life specifics, there's a lot that that is in that. Totally. So by the time we get there, yeah, we know. Yeah, exactly. We know. So there's this big gap between the midlife transits and then the second Saturn return. So as I said, this is like right where I am now feeling like this is Mm -hmm. the beginning of something, but it's a big open-ended something. So it's kind of, I don't know where I am personally. I'm like, is this just the perimenopause and menopause period? Like, (laughs) so like, what are the, the developmental tasks spiritually for those of us in late middle age? Um, and what mm-hmm. can we be doing, um, just generally speaking, about how to make, make sure that we're accomplishing these developmental tasks so that we arrive at the second Saturn return in a good way? Yes, that's a great, great question. And there's so much that does happen between late middle age and the second Saturn return. And I'm going to um, pick out a few and share them with you right now. Okay. So, so first of all, let's talk about Saturn. So Saturn makes aspect to itself every seven years. So even though you're not having an actual Saturn return, it's going to either square or oppose or conjunct as a return. It's going to make a significant aspect to your birth Saturn every seven years. So although um, your Saturn 
opposition takes place at around 45-ish, um, you'll still be integrating that Saturn opposition into your late 40s. So you now, you said you're almost 47, you're still integrating that Saturn opposition. It's not like it just happens and then you gets cut off. It's like all transits wax and wane. They build and then they dissipate. So you're in that integration phase as we speak. Oh my gosh. Anyone Can, you know, it's just 40s. occurring to me, Danielle. Yeah. The person that I was learning all of these things with literally has a stellium in Saturn. In, what do you mean? Well, like, oh, so they have, uh, they're just super Saturnian, I think is what I'm trying to say. So maybe a stellium in Capricorn in or Capricorn. just lots of Saturn. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> lots of Saturn. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so it, it's like this person's mm. entire chart essentially is ruled by Saturn and aspects of Saturn. So I feel yes. like I literally had an encounter for a couple of years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my leaving. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like quite the chart actually. Mm -hmm. That's, there's a lot of um, hard won wisdom in that chart, I'm sure. Yes. Um, so there is this, this integration phase that happens after the midlife transits up until about 50 really. Now, remembering again, that Saturn's about reality. So you're asking yourself now in your late forties, are you living in accordance with what is? Have, have you committed to something that you think is truly important? And are you doing the work? So those are the big questions that come up right now. Now, seven years after your Saturn opposition, so at around 52, not that far off, mm. Saturn will square itself. So you will have your Saturn square at around 52. So once again, Saturn themes coming up. I know it feels like Saturn never stops. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, Saturn structure, it's, it's, mm. it's reality on this planet. Um, mm. So again, at 52, it's going to be for a lot of people like a check-in. So just before this next Saturn cycle begins though, we get our Chiron return at around age 50, 51. So it mm -hmm. takes Chiron. So Chiron in mythology and astrology is known as the wounded healer. And it takes Chiron about 50 years to come back to the place it was when we were born. So mm -hmm. around 50, 51, we have the Chiron return and it shows us in no uncertain terms what is left to be witnessed within ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's no wonder that the early fifties do feel like a time of reckoning. Mm -hmm. Now. The funny thing with the Chiron return too, it can feel like a healing crisis for a lot of people, mm. sometimes real, sometimes a, a scare, like a health scare can come up. Mm. Um, sometimes it's not physical health, sometimes it's uh, other things, but it it kind of shows us that we're, we're mortal. And mm. I think a lot of times around that age, you suddenly go, whoa, wait a second, I'm like halfway through here. <laughs> and that, that does happen <laughs> to mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. so um, so there's that. And then wonderfully, um, there comes the time of trines. So a trine aspect in astrology means that the energy is flowing and harmonious, supportive, constructive, all these good things. Mm -hmm. So Pluto, Neptune, and Uranus trine themselves in our birth chart, which um, it's, it's amazing actually. So around between 50 and 53, we get our Pluto trine. Um, mine was when my first book was published. Hmm. So it was when I was told, yes, we will, we'd like to sign the contract. And, and it was really one of the most significant events in my whole life. So something I'd been working towards forever. So Pluto trine is about stepping into your power in a new way. Um, hmm. at around 55, you have your Neptune trine. 
which can be felt like a wonderful spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. Remember the Neptune square? And it was like all about spiritual, you know, awakening and such, but it was more like this, like you said, wistful and kind of, you know, looking out windows and <laughs> with, with the wandering at the bridge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I really got it going to um, the UK and, and looking out towards sitting on the edge and looking out over the Atlantic. Mm. It was just like, okay. mm. and thinking Oof. about all the stories of all the people who left their families behind and traveled. Yeah. That Ooh, was amazing. Aching. Yeah. It was just like, Oh, <laughs> but um, so yeah, but the Neptune trine is a much more flowing and um, it's, it's harmonious. It feels good. You feel like this new sense of, of meaning in a very gentle way, typically mm. speaking, and new sense of compassion and creativity also can come in. Mm. Um, so it's around 55. And then between around 55 and 57, you have your Uranus trine. So that can indicate, again, Uranus themes. So individuation, authenticity, maybe even a new sense of freedom for maybe some people, the the kids have left the house or you know, depending on what, your, what mm -hmm. your life is like, or maybe you leave a job that was holding you back. But um, that time, yeah, people just feel this new surge of, um, it's like a new, um, how do you say it? Like a breath of fresh air. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, um, also at 56, there is the nodal return that happens and that can be a turning point, a reevaluation of what's important to you. Perhaps a new direction comes into your life. Um, also, there's this idea of moving out of your comfort zone to more fully embrace your soul purpose that mm -hmm. happens with the nodal returns. Actually, there is a reverse nodal return at 46, which happens very close to that Saturn opposition Ooh. as well. Yeah, so you know. makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it's been an intense yeah. few months for me yeah. um, but I'm curious how are you feeling so you're just on cusp on the edge of your second time yeah. return how are you feeling about <laughs> it what do you and do you have any sense like do you have any clues of what's coming full circle yes. for you <laughs> um, I don't want to speak too soon but um well mine will be so it's always helpful to look at what house or life area these transits are taking place in in your birth chart if you can so my Saturn return will be again in my fourth house. That's where it was 30 years or almost 30 years ago. And um, so around things like home and family foundation, sense of belonging, that kind of thing, I mm -hmm. think is going to be coming to the fore in some way. Not exactly sure how that's going to play out, but mm -hmm. keeping my eye on it. Um, I think so I'll probably start really feeling it within about a year. Mm -hmm. Um, I just watched my husband go through it because he's three years older than I am. So I'm just like mm -hmm. watching everything that happens with him and thinking, okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's hard to say. I mean, I'm to think back to my first Saturn return. And of course, the first and the second one are going to be very different. They might bring up similar themes, but you're at a, such a different stage of life when you're 30 and when you're mm -hmm. moving into just 57 to 60. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the last question on the name of this podcast usually is about grief and rage, but it's your second time here. So we're going to ask you the second <laughs> question, which is how are you finding joy and pleasure these days? That sounds 
way better to talk about right now. (laughs) There's been so much grief and rage Mm -hmm. um, processing so much with that. Um, I would say over the past year or so, I've been changing direction in my practice. Um, I'm moving more into teaching. um, And it's been so enlivening to connect with students, to connect with people and clients in that way. So I'm also really loving the simple pleasures in life, tending to my herb garden, to cooking, reading for pleasure, and writing whatever calls me to write it. Um, I've also stopped trying to get a post up every for every single astrology transit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm only writing about the things that, that really want me to write, write about them. So I don't want to just force force things for the almighty content on social mm-hmm. media, which I used to do. And now I'm just like, no, I'll just write when I feel like writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if I'm called to explore a particular archetypal combination or a lunation, like a new or full moon, I'll sit in meditation first and allow its essence to come to me. And then I write out in longhand, whatever it is that comes up. And if it feels true, then I'll post it. So it's become like a spiritual practice for me. And I'm really getting a lot out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, really feeling that sense of connection. And I feel it's so exciting and interesting also to see um, that so many people are responding when I write that way, rather than just doing things for content. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's incredible. And I love sort of seeing, okay, so there's people who share that post. And then there's people that share the posts from those people and then so on and so on. So I love to kind of like sleuth and research and kind of look down and see people that I'm not even interested, sorry, connected to, like having conversations mm. that, that, you know, about what I posted. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know these people and they're talking <laughs> about this thing. It's just so, I love that. So anyway. That's well, and it shows, I, you know, for folks who don't follow you on Facebook or on Instagram, mm. they should because your posts have been so Thank potent you. they and for for so long not just lately but um i i appreciate you sharing that that's what you're doing and it makes them even deeper that they, they're so instructive i look i really look forward to them no pressure. I just mean, no, so no, good. thank you so <laughs> yeah. much. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. hearing that. Yeah. It's, mm. it's really, it's interesting to me mm. to see it unfold. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us on the show today. It's been so great to have you. And, um, I'm very excited to see what you feel like writing about next. Cause you're, you're <laughs> 12 faces of the goddess and lantern in the dark have just definitely taken pride of place on my shelf and ones I recommend um, quite a bit. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom again, Danielle. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your show again, the Numinous podcast, because it's been an absolute pleasure, just like it was the first time talking mm. with you. Thank you. Thanks, Carmen. Go to NuminousPodcast.com to find links for where you can purchase the book, A Lantern in the Dark, where you can learn more about Danielle. You got to get the book because honestly, you're going to consult it many, many times. There's a lot of overlapping things happening there. I've had to consult it several times just in the last couple months. (laughs) Just help locate yourself. Okay, here's where I am. Now, what do I do? That's one of the best parts of the book is each chapter ends with, and so therefore... Here are some practices you can cultivate. So good. Okay, listener shout out. Thank you 
to all my listeners on Salt Spring Island, where Danielle lives, and all the other Gulf Islands in the Salish Sea, of course, but especially Salt Spring, because I grew up in the Couchin Valley and in Shawnigan Lake here on Vancouver Island. I spent a lot of time in summers, uh, you best believe, camping on all the, the southern Gulf Islands, but especially Salt Spring. I think maybe the Salt Spring Island Farmer's Market is like the first I've ever been to. Like, I remember when David Wood started the cheese company and was giving out samples and things. But I've also been to the Christmas craft markets. We make special trip over. I remember when Wayne's World came out. I saw it in your teeny tiny little community center theater. We have lots of good friends uh, that live there because good people live there. And even as you've grown so much since the 80s, Um, the people in the land have always been so hospitable and I just really appreciate you listening. Thank you for all your support over the years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My friends. And in case you missed it, free week is happening over in my numinous network from June 16th to 22nd, 2022. Yes. A week of free access to an incredible lineup of daily programming for nervous system regulation, for earth-based spirituality, for just, plus you get all the, my courses, all my courses are, are on demand there. So you got to be subscribed though to my newsletter to get the free access link. And in fact, that, that announcement, free week in the Numinous Network, is just one cool thing going on this month. There's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. June is like the month of major announcements for me. So if you want to know what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at Carmen Spaniola and get on my newsletter to be the first to know the very juicy, very good value, very exciting things that are happening this summer. Sign up for my newsletter at CarmenSpaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.